Welcome to Site Selection Matters, where we take a close look at the art and science of site selection decision making. I'm your host, Rick Weddle, president of the Site Selectors Guild. In each episode, we introduce you to leaders in the world of corporate site selection and economic development. We speak with members of the Site Selectors Guild, our economic development partners, and corporate decision makers to provide you with deep insight into the best and next practices in our profession. In this episode, we have as our guest, Larry Gigrich, Executive Managing Director with Genovis, one of the nation's leading site selection and location advisory firms. Today, Larry will talk with us about the importance of water resources and economic growth and development. Join me as we welcome Larry Gigrich to Site Selection Matters. Larry, arguably water has become the most important natural resource for communities and states, and the impact on economic development is significant. Take a minute, if you will, and unpack this a bit for our listeners. Why is it so important? And why is it becoming so important now? Yeah, I think as you look at it, Rick, and you think about economic and community development in the U.S., and for that matter, globally, you know, water and the ability to access water has become critically important, even more so than the past. And I think maybe the best way to frame this issue up is to really divide it into two pieces. The, you know, the first being water that is specifically required to support a company's operations. And the second part being water availability to support people living and working in a geographic area. They're different, but yet connected. And I think as you think about it, you know, water is required for certain types of industrial primarily projects as you think about it. So things like food and beverage manufacturing, data centers, chemical production, some steel and metal products, things like that where you have to have water as a part of your process. And, you know, if you have an area that can't meet those availability statistics or numbers in particular, that's an issue. And then the second piece is, and I think this is maybe uh, one of the really interesting things that we've seen develop over the past couple of years, is the corporate decision makers are really emphasizing ensuring that water is in available in those communities and states where they look to allocate talent, where they're going to put those resources of people because they want to make sure people living in that area are in a position, you know, whether it's from a quality of place or just general everyday life, that they're in a place where there's water that's available because I think that's going to become even more important as we go forward and, and decision makers are starting to look at that. Two big reasons, and we'll jump into that. So we get it now, really, that water's important. Obviously, without water, we can't exist. And of course, it's important for, as you noted, many industrial processes. But now you're suggesting the second point, that corporate decision makers are really beginning to look at it differently and considering the availability of water when looking at potential facility locations on a broader basis. Explain this, if you will. Absolutely. So now, you know, with that second focus that has emerged, you know, again, ensuring that when they put talent resources in different geographic areas, that water is available not only to meet the needs of that area today, but what it looks like, you know, what it looks like in the future. And as I mentioned, you know, partly speaks to, you know, everyday life and quality of place, but also it speaks to being able to have a plan in place that really reflects the opportunity for that area to continue to flourish because no company and certainly all of us as individuals we don't want to live in an area where there's there's risk or concerns that we don't feel are either managed or being planned for as time goes forward so and we're you know we're already seeing this Rick, as you look at places in the south and west in particular that have seen 
number one, an explosion of population growth, and part of that's driven by economic development and more businesses locating and expanding operations in those areas. And then just, you know, again, general population growth that has taken place as people have chosen different types of environments they want to live in. So as we move forward, that issue is only going to become more acute. And that's why we're seeing corporate decision makers think more about this issue. Again, understanding that for those industrial processes where you have to have water, well, obviously that's a hurdle or a benchmark that you have to be able to check the box for. But that's, again, that second piece that we're talking about here, really important where they think about where are we going to have talent placed in the future and what does that area offer in terms of being able to demonstrate a managed plan, more a manageable plan maybe better said, to help ensure water is available today and for the future. The other thing I would note, just kind of finally on that point is, you know, in the past it used to be the cost factor of water, again, as a resource for companies, you know, was maybe a bigger driver. You know, really now it's about availability. And yes, it's hard to be a cost outlier if you're a very expensive place and you need water for industrial purposes. But really, it's the availability, being able to demonstrate if for the long term you have water available for, the, for these two different components we've talked about thus far. Yeah, cost doesn't matter if you don't have it. I guess when you think about it, you have to have it for cost to come into play into that. You know, you mentioned the Southwest real quickly. Uh, a few years ago, I worked in Phoenix and in Arizona, and obviously it's the desert. Water is very important. But the original water system there was, you know, largely designed for to support cotton farming as they developed that. And so there's tremendous amount of land that was involved in cotton farming, which is very water intensive. And as over the years, as that land was transferred from cotton farming to residential development, you know, the water was simply available to be repurposed, if you will, in that area. But that's changing a little bit now as we get into kind of the limits of how much of that water supply or water reserve can be repurposed in the desert. Let me switch gears a little bit and ask the question about the corporate perspective. How does a company investigate this and examine the and and make a decision about an area's long-term competitiveness and positioning when it comes to water supply and availability? What are the metrics? How do they take a look at it? It's a great question and, and probably one of the most important questions when you look at, at the water issue in general. And the first area that we really dig into as we work with our, with our clients is understanding where does the area's water come from? In other words, what is the source of that water? So, you know, is it coming from things like rivers, lakes, underground aquifers, uh, reservoirs, you know, man-made reservoirs, and also, you know, in certain places, is now certainly in coastal areas where desalination of salt water is becoming more and more prominent um, with some really interesting projects there, including one in, in Tampa, Florida, that has probably been the one that has been the largest, at least in scale thus far. So again, looking at where the water comes from is, is really the first area to dig into because that gives you an idea of the availability and then what those different sources can provide because, you know, obviously there's a lot of data that is tracked over a historical period of time to say, you know, here's what the water levels have been, here's how much has been drawn, and even in many cases, in particular in the western U.S., where there are water compacts, agreements essentially in place where 
entities are allowed to take a certain amount of water from different sources with probably the Colorado River maybe being the kind of the most recognized one out west where there's very specific rules about how much water can be taken by different states in particular that are along the Colorado River. That's certainly one area that's important. Another really important tool or area to look at, you know, again, if this exists for an area is to ask for a copy of a water resources plan. We're seeing more and more communities, regions, and even some states that have put water resources plans in place. Indiana, as an example, is one state that has put one together in the last two years, looking at a water resources, where they're coming from, what future needs are going to look like when the population grows over an extended period of time, 20 to 30 years, and beginning to plan today if more effort needs to be done there. And then the final thing is uh, many areas also have put water conservation plans in place that really tie into really resource management and future modeling of, of water consumption. And, you know, it's cr kind of crazy to think about in today's world, Rick, you look back in the past and whether it was energy, whether it was water, you know, the more you used, the more your rate was discounted. And, you know, we're in a place now with energy and water, as we're talking about here today, where conservation to help with that availability issue, again, is more important than cost. And, and we're now starting to move away from, hey, the more natural resources or utilities that you use um, doesn't mean you're going to have a lower price because of because of these issues. So, I th I, again, I think those are a couple of areas that are really important to dig into and places that can demonstrate they have a water resources plan, conservation efforts in place, things like that are really going to be very well positioned as we go forward. So that pricing model is really being inverted. It's the old school of uh, volume discount is being right. turned up is being turned upside down. That's very interesting because actually, so now you're seeing examples, I guess, where companies then will be rewarded for not using so much of a precious or limited resource. Very interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Larry, in the old days, you, uh, you mentioned out west a little bit uh, in your commentary. In the old days, when we were settling this country, we watch all the westerns and in, in the history, and we see that we had huge water wars, if you will, or battles over water rights, who controlled the stream, who controlled access to this. Do you see the possibility of similar kind of geographic conflicts in the future? Absolutely. And and I think it's something that we've started to see come to light in the last few years. And I think we're going to see more and more of it, again, for the reasons we've talked about thus far. And, and really thinking about the places that again, are growing faster in terms of population, again, largely driven in many ways by economic development activity, but also those areas that, you know, simply don't have as many natural resources to tap into as relates to water, the places that are more dry desert type clients. And in the West, we have, you know, a lot of high desert climates rather in place that make water more, you know, water resources more challenging. So just like, you know, a couple examples I touched on a little bit earlier, Colorado River and the compact that's in place there and has been for decades about how much water can be diverted from the Colorado River for different states along that mountain region down into the southwest U.S. And there has been litigation 
litigation primarily uh, as you've looked at places like Colorado and Arizona, both of those locations in particular because of growth, significant growth uh, in, in cities, in particular Denver and Phoenix as we think about those two states that has led to litigation and you know federal government regulatory involvement about water that's being again, drawn from the Colorado River to support the population of those areas. Another one, and probably most recently, kind of an interesting one, has been in the southeast U.S. Again, as we've seen significant population growth, a couple of years ago, there was a legal battle that ensued between Georgia and Florida. And those two states were uh, in litigation over the amount of water that was being drawn from Lake Lanier and the Chattahoochee River, as that impacted Georgia and the northern part of Florida. And in particular, obviously Atlanta has grown so dramatically in population size, the number of businesses that have moved there, that that was a a major lawsuit. And while there's still some ongoing litigation there, that particular case went all the way to the Supreme Court to rule on a few issues related to that litigation. And I think we're likely to see more and more of this in the future. Again, when you've got fast-growing areas from a population standpoint, and many of those areas are already natural resource challenged when it comes to water, that is, you know, I think that's a significant issue. Another thing that really ties into this, Rick, that I think is interesting is also we're beginning to see more regulatory issues around wells and people being able to utilize wells, whether that's for residential or commercial purposes, uh, that's going to be an issue that's going to be important to watch. We're also now starting to see some places regulate the collection of rainwater. You know, many people, including I do this at my home, collect rainwater, you know, use it for plants or other things that you you know you may have in your yard and we're seeing some states out west starting to regulate the collection of rainwater because they want that rainwater to run into rivers and streams and lakes and reservoirs that tie into how they provide water to people living in that area and then the final piece is uh, which i'm excited about we're seeing more and more of our clients really wanting to understand how they can use gray water as a part of their operations now this ties more into processing and industrial operations maybe as compared certainly to drinking water and things like that, but ways to use gray water to help offset the usage of normal tap water that these facilities would have. And I I think there's going to be some exciting technology things we we see there. So I know that's a lot to unpack, but to your question specifically, we will see more litigation as we go forward. Um, a lot of the places that are growing fa- fast or quickly in the U.S. have are already constrained by water resource issues. Um, so we need to look at some of these other things like rainwater, gray water, as a way to help us manage that issue. You know, one thing you mentioned a lot about wells and water extracted from groundwater in that one thing that as, as we tend to take all that from for granted, we don't realize that that also relates over time to subsidence, uh, land subsidence, where it's, if you think about the land, it's kind of like a big sponge. If you take all the water out of it uh, and pump it out, it tends to shrink in that regard. I know in the Southwest, there's areas where of development that are impacted by land subsidence. But then more recently, I worked in the Norfolk area, in the Hampton Roads area, and where there you have a twofold issue of sea level rise and land subsidence due to water being pumped out over time. And it's affecting 
you know, few inches this way, few inches that way makes a big difference in that regard. So we, we some of these things we've taken for granted over the years can't really be taken for granted anymore. Uh, one question real quickly, you mentioned gray water. And these, we've been talking about availability, but what about water quality? We take that for granted too, don't we? And yet that's a that's an issue that pops up in some of the older, more industrial areas. No, that's a great, great point, Rick. I mean, we've seen that issue really come to fore here in the last few years. Obviously, you know, what happened in Flint, Michigan, that received a lot of attention where, uh, you know, especially, as you said, in a lot of these older industrial communities, uh, in particular, a lot of it in the Midwest and the Northeast U.S., where you have uh, lead pipes. You know, that was that was what they used to put pipes in place, you know, 50 to 100 years ago in many places. And you have that, you know, you have that issue to manage. And you also have, again, the source of water um, and, and issues related to that. I mean, we, you know, it's kind of that balance as you look at the U.S. where, you know, agriculture is very important because it helps support our population here and global population with with food at the same time managing the runoff of agricultural chemicals from fields and that goes into rivers and streams and lakes that are sources of drinking water and what you have to do to treat that from a quality standpoint and as you noted earlier too just soil is a big sponge and things that go into underground underground aquifers most where i live in indiana most of our water comes from underground aquifers well things that end up in the soil and leach down into those aquifers um you know you you have to be a good steward of that to make sure you're in a good position so quality is important it's becoming more important of an issue and it's one again, that we're going to have to tackle, um, whether it's through infrastructure funding or other things to help make sure quality and safety is there uh, for people who use this water. Without a doubt, it's a great point, Rick. You know, water something we've taken for granted, but boy, is it a complicated, very complicated and getting more complicated issue. Larry, what advice would you give our listeners or economic development organizations about this issue? What can and should they be doing to help lead their communities into maybe better policy outcomes and a more favorable competitive posture when companies go looking at water resource availability and capability. Yeah, I think it's a it's an important, very important question, Rick. As you think about where we're going and and this becoming more and more of an important issue, so clearly for economic development leaders in their communities, regions, and states, it's really important for them to dig into and understand how their area is approaching water management related issues. You know, economic development professionals asking the question, do, you know, do we have a water resource management plan in place? You know, how are we managing the resources we have? Being able to, because we're seeing this question again asked more and more is, you know, where where does your water come from? So economic development professionals being able to answer that question. But I think now again, because of the importance of this and its impact on site selection decisions, you know, economic development leaders in communities, regions, and states being at the table when public policy issues are being discussed around water-related issues. Uh, again, as you, you've said a couple times, Rick, we've always taken for granted that water is going to be there. We're going to turn on the faucet and water is going to come out. Well, we're starting, you know, we're starting to see that change in some places and being engaged is really important. And then elected officials, you know, along the same lines, 
you know, need to emphasize the importance of this issue within their communities. You know, one, there's an awareness issue, just, you know, your, your citizens about the importance of conservation efforts, and, this, and it's an important issue to the current and long-term success of an area. And for those elected officials also to really be engaged with municipal and private water utilities. You know, in some places we see more municipal government owned and run uh, water water utilities and in other places we might see it being you know private you know private water companies but making sure that there's an engagement level there and there's collaborative planning that's going on and and I I think it kind of put the fine point on it is you know whether it's economic development professionals elected officials community leaders in general you know people who don't prepare for not only how to answer the question about water management and and sources of water for your community, but also take that long-term view of how you plan for your community where it sits today, but even more importantly, 5, 10, 20, 50 years from now, that's going to separate the places that are successful from the ones that are going to have more more challenges as we go forward. So I, I would say those are the main ways for those, again, those community leaders and economic development professionals to really engage on this issue. And Larry, if you if you think about it, um, if they don't do that, if they don't have a good plan, if they get themselves uh, in a situation where the wheels come off, and let's say, for example, they have a moratorium, if you will, on on development or growth or water uses because they don't have capacity, that can really affect a community's image from an economic development standpoint for many years, can't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, we, if you get into a situation where community says, hey, we, you know, we don't have the ability to allow additional development to take place, you know, because of, of water issues we're talking about here, the water availability then you know not only are they going to miss opportunities in the short run, but it's going to take them a while to recover from that because people are going to know that, hey, they have a major challenge in that area. And again, I think that's why if you, not only if you have a plan in place, but you you are able to articulate what you're doing is is really important. I mean, one kind of quick example that I'll, I'll mention that's exciting to see in the U.S. is is a lot of the indoor farming that is taking place now. You know, it's using 90% less water, 95% less land to do that. And that is something that will help these areas in particular that are more challenged around having water available. But without a doubt, uh, places that are going to struggle in this area, and certainly if you get to a point where you have moratorium on development because of the water issue in particular, that does, it's going to take a while for places to recover from that. It's a big issue, something that economic developers really have to pay a lot of attention to. Larry, you've given us a lot to think about in today's conversation. What a what an interesting topic, but that's all the time we have today. So let me say now thanks to Larry Gigerich, Executive Managing Director with Genovas, for talking with us today on this episode of Site Selection Matters. Thank you, Rick. It's always great to spend time with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Site Selection Matters. And a special thanks to Larry Gigerich with Genovis for helping us get inside and better understand the importance of water resources and economic development. What an informative discussion we had today and one that leaves us with a lot to think about. Again, I'm Rick Weddle, President of Site Selectors Guild. This podcast episode represents my views and the views of my guests, and they do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Site Selectors Guild or its membership. 
We hope you'll subscribe to Site Selection Matters Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you some great discussions in the year ahead. Until next time, good day.